What is the best TV series you've watched during lockdown? And why is it Schitt's Creek? I recognize some people have started and not got on with it. But I'm told, and I found, if you persevere for seven or eight episodes, you're hooked, and it's the greatest. If you've never seen it, this is a comedy about the wealthy and entitled Rose family, whose accountant embezzles their fortune. Their rich friends cut them adrift, and all they have left is a small town in the middle of Hicksville called Schitt's Creek. It's got a C in it, just so you know. A town the dad once bought for the son as a joke. Johnny and Moira, the parents, and David and Alexis, their grown-up children, are forced to move into the town's run-down hotel. No help, no money, no clue. All they have now are their new country neighbours, the kind of people they've always scorned. How everyone gets on or doesn't makes for excruciating comedy, until eventually they start to notice the common humanity underneath their mutual harsh judgments. One night, Johnny and Moira are marking their anniversary in a nearby town with Roland Shit, the mayor of Shit's Creek, and his wife, Jocelyn. They bump into a couple of rich former friends who start slagging off the town and its people. And all of a sudden, Johnny Rose finds himself on the Damascus Road. He could join in with his former friends in their mockery. Part of him longs for their respect. They symbolize his previous life. But instead, he cuts off their laughter and takes them down. He stands up for his new friends, this backwards, unfashionable community who took in his family when, his life, when their life fell apart. It's called Schitt's Creek, he says, with a defiant theatrical flourish, and it's where we live. Everybody needs a Damascus Road moment, the opportunity to discover who you are or who you could become, the chance to embrace a new life. Today, the church marks that moment in the life of the man we call St. Paul. His was the conversion story to top the lot, the archetypal Damascus Road conversion because it actually happened on the road to Damascus. The dazzling light, the divine voice, the temporary blindness, and the dramatic rejection of his past. Not just a defining moment for him, but for the birth of this faith that we share. The Damascus Road became a highway between an obscure Jewish cult founded by the friends of Jesus of Nazareth and a global faith that we now call Christianity. Without Paul, Jesus might have been just another leader of a heretical Jewish sect, the kind that Saul, his name before his conversion, used to terrorize, suspecting that this new Jesus movement was a lethal virus that could wipe out true Judaism. Saul would round up the followers of Jesus and drag them to prison. Saul was a witness when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death. I was violently persecuted in the church of God, he wrote later. I was trying to destroy it. He was a piece of work. But on the road to Damascus, he has an extreme epiphany, the kind of primitive religious experience that many of us today would find embarrassing. A dazzling light throws him to the ground and he hears a voice, Saul, why do you persecute me? He's in shock for days until Ananias prays with him and the scales, we're told, fall from his eyes. He would never look at anything in the same way again. From Jesus' hater to Jesus' follower, his life unfolds in a series of journeys that sets Christianity on its way to becoming a world faith. Paul was the one who codified the new faith. He answered the people's questions, the questions that Jesus had never mentioned and his friends had never asked about. 
And the biggest question was about who was in and who was out. There was a massive row, even bigger than Brexit, but Paul's view prevailed. The way of Jesus was for everyone, not just for the Jews. It's about freedom and love and grace. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. Of course, Paul was a man of his time, and you wouldn't take his advice on many things, on some things. You would on some things, on others you wouldn't. Slavery, for example, or gender equality. And the poet David Kinlock captures this in the first letter of the Hebrew women to St. Paul, the poem that Millie read. Adam could have said, no thanks, or apples disagree with me. He didn't. He had a bite as well. So he was deceived, just like Eve. We're equal and get used to it. We washed his feet, made his tea, stood under the cross. Where were you on some road to Damascus? In other words, while the Damascus road was a big moment for Paul, It wasn't the end of his conversion, just the beginning. Every one of our lives is a great ship, and turning direction can take a lifetime. But if it's difficult to be converted, it's also essential, because it's the only way that we can grow and develop as people. For instance, some of you, like me, may sometimes notice that you're getting older. One of the difficulties of aging is the internal voice which says you are ending. You've done whatever you came here to do. You've become yourself. It's time to stop. Older people, we say, are set in their ways. Actually, any of us can be, whatever age, set in our ways, as if from a mould, fixed, unchanging, end of. One of the striking moments of the US presidential inauguration this week was President Biden naming something often unspoken by white people. He used the phrase white supremacy. He said America had to be moved by the cry for racial justice, a cry that can't be any more desperate, any more clear, he said and now a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism, that we must confront and will defeat. A few feet away stood Kamala Harris, now the first woman and first woman of color to become US Vice President. In the era of Black Lives Matter, America, like so many countries, including our own, is having its own Damascus Road moment. It's being invited to repent of a racist past to make amends and to build more equal societies. This is the possibility of conversion. But it is not certain, and it is not instant. It is a work in progress, and it depends how much white people like me want to be converted, whether we want to do the work. As that luminous poem of Amanda Gorman put it in closing the inauguration, the new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Countries are called to be converted, called to repent of historic injustices like racism and change their ways. Planets too. Unless we convert this world from our carbon addiction, life will become impossible for so many of the world's living beings. And people, you and me, we have to be converted too. Like Paul, and also not like Paul. The one trouble with Paul's conversion is that it creates a template in our minds. It leads us to think that the instant, dramatic conversion is the norm. Shouldn't we have one like that too? But most of us rarely experience God with such clarity, with voices and visions. We don't have the Damascus Road floodlight. We just have a small torch with flat batteries. We don't have the divine megaphone, just the vague hunch, the persistent wandering, the odd moment of certainty. 
That's not to say that God isn't speaking to us when we're praying, listening to someone in need, reading the Bible, sitting in silence, walking by the sea or in the woods, when something just clicks, or when the bread and wine touch our tongue. We have moments of spiritual clarity, when it feels like God is actually on the line. But generally speaking, she meets us in the ordinary, waiting for us to notice her presence, reminding us that it's in the humdrum of the everyday that our lives are really converted. But because something is slow and mundane, doesn't mean it doesn't harbor the extraordinary. Because it isn't dramatic, doesn't mean it isn't miraculous. And because we don't notice ourselves being converted, it doesn't mean it isn't happening. Sometimes our conversion to the way of justice and peace and forgiveness, to the way of Jesus Christ, is measured better by others than ourselves. We remember the dramatic parts of Paul's conversion, the light, the voice, but we forget that what follows was his immersion in the early Christian communities, that this was where the deal was sealed, where he found answers to his questions, or ways to carry those questions, where he found a community of love, acceptance, and service. His turn to God came in a million choices over the months and years. His conversion took his whole life. You can't turn to God in a moment. You can only turn to God in a lifetime. Paul's conversion might have been born in Epiphany, but it grew in community. He said his prayers, read the scriptures, swapped stories of Jesus and broke bread and shared wine, all the stuff we do. He fell out and he fell in with people and gradually he found his way on what they called the way. Watching It's a Sin last night, a brilliant and moving new series about the 1980s AIDS epidemic, I was reminded of the attitudes that I was raised with and how so many churches, including the Church of England, still have to be converted from institutional prejudice and homophobia. I notice that my own slow awakening to the workings of racism or homophobia or misogyny have been supported by the community of people I choose to travel with, even when it's not comfortable. I think of friends, especially young people, who introduced me to the ideas of white privilege and white discomfort who told me what it was like to be black when most people in the room are white, how tiring it can be, of the reminder of a friend that black lives are greater than white feelings, of Martin Luther King saying that tension is a necessary phase, of another friend, Pip Wilson, who says, growth does not reside in a place called comfortable. But we're called to travel together because somehow, in the divine embrace, we save each other dazzling each other with our strange light and miraculous words, healing our many blindnesses, sharing our different burdens. We are each of us converted gradually, imperceptibly, every day. And sometimes the dramatic will jolt us to our senses, a revelation pull our lives into sharp focus. Mostly, we do not notice the dazzling light because we forget it is present in the eyes of everyone we meet the voice of everyone we speak to. Slowly, in company and service, month by month, year by year, we turn to Christ. For the most part, not realizing that every road that we will ever travel may be the Damascus Road. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Amen.